Well, as Joe said, as I get my computer on, my name is Natalie, and I get to share with you guys tonight. And I'm super excited. Thank you, Joe, so much for that prayer and for the worship. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about the parable of the pearl and the treasure hidden in a field. Uh, but before we get started, I want to recap. Does anyone, and yes, I'll ask questions throughout the night, does anyone remember what a parable is? Gideon. What? Okay, a story that Jesus would tell to tell a lesson. Anyone else? Okay, it's a simile, a story that you can apply to your life and to the kingdom of heaven. Gideon, do you want to add something? He used metaphors to explain, like, the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? Okay, awesome. Um, those are great answers. And I'm going to add to it uh, a definition that Alan Garcia used a few Sundays ago when he spoke. He said that parables are earthly stories that expose our hearts and reveal heavenly realities. So what you guys said, but just worded a little bit different. So, so far, many of the parables that we've seen have been twofold. There's two sides to them. They tell us something about the coming kingdom, but they also allow us to look inside and reveal stuff, sometimes stuff we don't want to be revealed. Um, and because of this twofold nature, parables can sometimes be a little bit hard to understand. I know in my group, we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, there's things that we miss when we read it the first time, or the second, or the 20th. Um, and even a couple weeks ago, I was in the church admin office, and I had someone come in, and they, uh, they were waiting for someone to get out of a meeting. They asked for a bookmark, uh, and I asked how the Bible in a Year reading was going. And we had just got to the New Testament. It was amazing because Brooklyn had just spoken on what parables were. And she's like, I am so excited. But we just read all the parables, and why the heck did Jesus not speak in normal English? Like, why didn't he just say that, say what he meant straight out? And so I want to recap by looking at Matthew 13, verse 11, so you guys can turn there. Um, and here we see that the, king, uh, that the disciples have asked this exact question of Jesus that we're contemplating 2,000 years later. Uh, and he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has, or from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So the secrets of heaven have been revealed to the disciples um, so that they can have a better understanding of who Jesus is. But as the prophet Isaiah goes on to say, and Jesus quotes it, uh, some people's hearts are dull. They're not in the right place, and they cannot understand what Jesus is saying. Um, but for those who are seeking him and want and desire the kingdom of heaven and desire to follow him, he says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear but did not hear it. So today, we're going to look at the parables and 
they are going to be twofold. There are going to be multiple layers, and we're going to see what Jesus reveals to us. Uh, and I want to be upfront and claim I don't know everything about these parables. Every time I read them, I learn something new. As I was preparing for to, uh, today, it's been several weeks, and I was amazed at everything I didn't know. And we're only looking at three verses today. We're going to go throughout the Bible, but three verses, and there's so much that I didn't know. So go ahead and look with me at Matthew 13, verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So what do we see right away? What happens? Andrew. Or not Andrew, sorry. Go on, Sam. <laughs> he buys a field. Okay. Anyone notice anything else? Bella? He compares what to the kingdom of heaven? The treasure hidden in the field to a kingdom of heaven, or to the kingdom of heaven. Anything else? Very good. He then gives everything that he has to buy that field to obtain that treasure. Okay. Now, a little bit more about this because you might say, okay, I understand that. I don't know why this is in here. It doesn't make sense to my life. Well, first of all, why is there a treasure in the middle of a field? This is not pirate treasure or anything like that. Um, Back in first century AD, there was not the banking system that we had. So the Jews living at this time would have had very little savings, and the savings that they would have, they would have literally put somewhere very safe in their house um, because they were sometimes being taxed, and most of the time taxed unfairly, um, or they would go and hide their money in a very specific place, like a field that was marked um, for and keep their savings there for safekeeping. So the disciples, as they hear this, they understand this practice of there being treasure in a field. Um, and then another thing to note about the time, why did the man not just pick up the treasure and like walk off with it? Well, he didn't do this because, again, these disciples are living in first century AD, and they are under Jewish law and under the rabbinic law, um, Whoever owned the field, if you found treasure in it, it was the landowners. Didn't matter if they knew it was there or not. So we see that what this man does, he comes across this amazing treasure. He's so excited. He covers it back up to ensure that it is still there. And then he goes off to purchase the treasure. And did anyone notice how he went off? With joy. He didn't go off and be like, okay, I'm going to purchase this. No, he went off with great joy in order to sell everything that he had in order to gain this treasure. Um, so this treasure that he found, can anyone guess what it is? Or did anyone understand what it was? Gideon? 
Eternal life? Okay. That's a good guess. Anyone else? What do you think this treasure was that he found? It's okay if we're, you don't quite know. Um, this treasure that he found is the kingdom of heaven itself. It is the gospel. He is so excited that he goes, gives everything um, for the kingdom of heaven in order that he may have follow Jesus and um, obtain, obtain the gospel. So here we have the parable of the treasure. We have the man who's the believer. Um, the field is the world. So he found, or it's just a field. He found this amazing treasure in this field and it is the kingdom of heaven or it is the gospel. Um, now, this kingdom is so precious that this man sold everything that he owned to obtain it. And that is what we can apply to our own lives. Now, the next parable is similar. So before we get to the application of this, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next two verses. So let's go ahead and read verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here we see, if you don't know, these are what this man would be, have been sifting through. He is looking through all these pearls. There's different colors. There's different sizes. There's different shapes. Um, and he is searching through all of these pearls to find any pearls that are good. But when he finds a single pearl that is of great value, he sells everything for that one pearl. And if he's a merchant, he's looking for these pearls in order to sell them later on. Um, but he finds one, sells everything he has so that he can obtain it. And that, again, is how important um, the kingdom of heaven is. So here we see that the merchant is, again, the believer. That's us. Uh, the pearls are possibly different truths or different kingdoms, things that we're searching for in the world. And the pearl of great value is the kingdom of heaven. So... How does this actually apply to you? Um, can you imagine what it would be like to sell absolutely everything to follow Jesus? Now, you guys are in high school, so you might be thinking, I don't have much to sell, so it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But think about selling your computer, your clothes, your books, your cell phones, giving up everything every worldly possession you have for Jesus, um, or even being called to sacrifice all that you have for Jesus. This might be your time, your sport, um, maybe a, even a friendship, all to follow Jesus uh, and live for his kingdom. So that's what we see the men in these verses do. And this isn't the only time that we see Jesus or the apostles call people to sacrifice everything for the sake of the kingdom. In Matthew 19.21, the rich young man comes to Jesus asking how he can obtain eternal life. And Jesus gives him a list of things and he goes, I've done all that. And so then Jesus says, so give up everything, give the proceeds to the poor and come and follow me. And instead of being joyful and going and doing it, he walks away sorrowful because he could not do that. His heart wasn't in the right place. In Acts 2, 4, or 2, uh, 4, 
no, sorry, 245, we see that the believers in the early church sold everything that they had in order to follow Jesus. They sold absolutely all their possessions, and then they used the proceeds to make sure that every single person in the early church had everything that they needed. So nobody was lacking. And then they followed Jesus together. And then in Philippians uh, 3, 7, and 8, we have this verse. And Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul counts everything as loss. He has no desire for worldly possessions because he only wants or he only wants Christ. He has lost things because of his relationship with Christ and his desire to follow Jesus' name because Jesus is his true treasure. Okay, so how does this, again, how does this apply to you even more? Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So where is your treasure today? Where is your heart today? For some of you, you may follow, be following Jesus. You may be doing everything that you can to make sure he is the center of your life. Um, and that is wonderful. When I was in high school, uh, in this same youth group, because I grew up here, uh, and then I went away for college and life, uh, and then came back, I came to Christ in seventh grade at a summer camp, like you guys had in June, and I was so excited to pursue Jesus. I was pursuing him with everything that I had. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was involved in more things than I could even have time to do. And this continued into college. And I was pursuing God. I was serving others. I was working for his kingdom. And yet I realized that my heart was like the rich young man. It was divided. And I didn't know it quite yet. This is, oops, sorry. This is a picture of me serving. I was a children's ministry intern in a summer where I was working like four or five jobs. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, and I say it was ridiculous because I wasn't doing them for the Lord only. Don't get me wrong, I love Jesus and I wanted to serve because I knew I should, but I was doing it because I wanted others to notice me. I wanted others to see how good a Christian I was. And I wanted others to believe, yeah, she's got it all together. She is seeking the kingdom. She knows Jesus so much. It is The love of Jesus is just pouring out of her. Um, and then we had a series of life events happen. And thankfully, Jesus loves us so much that he works in our hearts and will not let us sit in this sin. Um, and he does correct us gently and kindly. And he revealed to me that this is a struggle that I have even up to this day. My heart can still be divided, and sometimes I'm not seeking the kingdom. I'm seeking my own glory. Um, so daily, I come to the Lord, and I surrender my life to him. Uh, and sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I don't want to surrender because I really want to do my own thing, and I want to be in charge. Um, but he's constantly working in my life and changing my heart so it more aligns with him. Okay, so... Remember I told you parables have layers. First layer, we saw um, that the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure and pearl. We give everything so that we can obtain the kingdom of heaven, so that we have Jesus, and we do everything to follow him. Uh, but the next layer that we're going to look at 
is going to look at this parable in light of the cross and what Jesus did there. So each of us it, uh, has this thing, we all have this problem called sin. And this sin separates us from God. Uh, but in his love and grace, God sent his son to take our sin from us. And Jesus died on the cross for you and me. And through this act of mercy, grace, and love, we have salvation through Jesus. And this salvation is a free gift. And that's why we have another interpretation. Um, this is a free gift from God. This salvation is nothing that we can earn or buy. It is free and open to every single one of us. So in light of this free gift of salvation, I want us to go ahead and reread this passage and look at this one more time. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes, sells all that he has, and buys the field. So now, if we think of this as Jesus, who do you guys think the man is who sells everything? I heard it. How about we say it out loud? It's Jesus. Good job, guys. Okay, so we see that the man in this parable is now Jesus. And what is the field? What do you think? Can anyone try? I heard someone say it. The world. Very good. And then what is the treasure? It's us. It is the believer. So in light of this, it changes a little bit. Uh, now, I don't know about you. Some of you guys might be like, well, I never would have gone back and read that and come to that conclusion. But there is a reason why this interpretation exists. And it has to do with um, the Old Testament. And so uh, the reason why scholars and theologians have come to the conclusion that there is a second interpretation is because of a very familiar story in Ruth, um, a story that the disciples would have been familiar with. Uh, so if you guys will turn with me to Ruth 3, um, and while you're turning, I'm going to give you, or sorry, Ruth 4, I'm going to give you a little backstory. So if you don't know a lot about Ruth, she is a Moabite, so she's not an Israelite, um, but she married one. And he died. And then her father-in-law was also dead. And instead of returning home to her land, she decided to live and follow her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so we have two widows. And at the time, the world wasn't very nice to widows. So they go back to their home. And, um, and they, this story comes into play. And now we're there in Israel as they get home. And if you remember, Israel had 12, 12 tribes. And in the, or in the law, there was actually land that was assigned to each of them, um, to each of these 12 tribes. And it was very specific. And in order to ensure that the ownership of this land stayed within the correct tribe, uh, in the case of a death, and that family, the family lines of that tribe would not die out, uh, the role of a something called a kinsman redeemer was established. And if you've never heard this term, that's okay. Um, so when Ruth and Naomi return home, they have no living children. Uh, so the line of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, uh, will die out, and the ownership of his property is going to come into question. So they need a kinsman redeemer, not only to take over this land, but also to take care of them and continue on Imelech's line. Um, and this is Imelech's line, not Ruth's line. So this is someone who's related to 
element, sorry, Elimelech, um, who is going to come and marry Ruth and is going to redeem her and redeem this family. Um, so, now to us this might seem really weird, but it is actually laid out um, for the kingdom of Israel. So here comes Boaz. You might have heard of Ruth and Boaz. Um, Boaz, he is the kinsman redeemer for her family, and even better, in Ruth 3, he's fallen in love with Ruth. So he is so excited about the possibility of being her kinsman redeemer, but there's a little bit of a complication. There is a different kinsman redeemer who has priority ahead of him. He has a closer relation uh, to Elimelech, and so he has um, the ability to redeem the land first. So now, in Ruth 4, uh, Verse 3, it says, Then he, being Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, him being the first uh, kinsman redeemer, said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem this for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take, uh, take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Then it goes into a little bit of how this exchange went down. And in verse 8 we see, so when the Redeemer said, to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Milan, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milan. Um, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate the name of the dead and his inheritance, and the name of the dead, or that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses of this today. So here we see that Boaz um, desires to marry Ruth, but rather than taking him directly for himself and just saying, I am a kinsman redeemer, I'm going to do this, he knows that there's a closer relative, so he goes among uh, uh, through the right channels um, and in order to make sure that he is actually following the law of God. The first kinsman redeemer is happy to buy the field when it is just a field, but as soon as he finds out that there's this added catch, he doesn't want to do that. So Boaz joyfully buys the field, not only because he's excited to increase his inheritance, but also because of the treasure found within. And this treasure is Ruth, who he then gets to marry. And a fun fact, Ruth is actually a great, 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 great something of Jesus. Um, she is in the line of Jesus that is listed in his genealogy. So in light of Ruth and of the cross, we see that Jesus found a precious treasure in a field and sold everything that he had to purchase the field and obtain the treasure. And you are that treasure. And through him, you are redeemed just as Boaz redeemed Ruth. Um, and now can be in relation with God. So Jesus 
is the son of God and God created the world. So why did Jesus then have to purchase us? Why couldn't he just take us out of it? Um, again, he wants this to be perfect. And in Matthew 4, we see the temptation of Jesus. Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and he tells him, look at all the kingdoms. Um, all you have to do, I will give all this to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus doesn't say, no, it's already mine. He says, Satan, go away. And he begins his ministry. See, Jesus sees that this world was full of fallen people who are full of sin. There's darkness. There was an enemy roaming freely on the earth. And so when he tells him to go away and he begins his ministry and shares about the kingdom, um, he is redeeming the world. He is sharing how we can be redeemed. And then Jesus willingly, with joy, sold everything by going to the cross to redeem believers from darkness and sin and to bring the world back to him. And when we say he actually did go and give himself up to the cross, if you read in Mark and in Matthew, it doesn't say that Jesus died. It doesn't just say that. It says he actually yielded his spirit. He gave up his spirit for you and me. That's how much he loves you. All right, I know this is a lot of information. We're almost done. So let's look one more time at Matthew 45 and 46, this pearl of great value. And I realized I didn't, oh, yeah, I did. Huh. Okay, uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here we again see Jesus is the merchant, um, the people are the pearls, and the pearl of great value is the believer. So again, how many pearls was Jesus looking for? How many pearls was he looking for originally? How many pearls is the merchant looking for? Multiple. It says he is, the merchant is in search of fine pearls, and that is plural. But when Jesus finds just one, just one individual believer, he, go, he gladly goes to the cross to bring that single believer into relationship with, the, with God. Um, and this is how much you guys are loved and valued by God. Jesus sells everything he has and willingly goes to the cross, paying it all for you. Um, so how precious are you to God? Psalm 139, uh, 13 through 16 speaks about how God knew you, each and every single one of you, while, while you were still inside your mom. He knit you together perfectly. Um, and before you were born, he knew everything about you. John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, God sent his son, and I know you guys don't have kids yet, but he actually sent his child to earth to die on a cross to redeem you and bring you to him. That's how valuable you are to God. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, that it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you even decided to put your faith in Jesus, um, or if you haven't yet, God loves you so much. This is the value that you have to God. And this is something that I really want you guys to understand today. Um, so a little bit more about my story, because I've struggled a lot with my value. Um, I actually have a tattoo on my back, and I got it 12 years ago. 
and it is a braided cross. I don't have a picture of it. Um, it's a braided cross, and under it it says, Loved by the King. And I got this two days before I got engaged, and I got it because I was going to marry someone who was in the military. And I wanted to remember when he was gone, and I was all by myself, that I was still loved by God, and I was valued by God. Um, and at the time I got this, I truly thought I understood my worth. I mean, I have it tattooed on my body. And then I met with Brooklyn yesterday, and I forgot I had this tattoo on my body. Like, it didn't click the way I wish it did back then. Um, and so, as I said, I slowly forgot how valuable I was to God. Um, we got busy with our life. We got busy with the daily activities. We had kids. Uh, we moved. And as each thing was added to my plate, I stopped reading this. I stopped seeking him. I stopped praying. Um, and I stopped rehearsing the truths that we find in here about how valuable we are, how loved we are, and who God was every day. Uh, and then I came to my breaking po point. And I wasn't, it wasn't until I was at my most lonely that I finally remembered how I am this pearl of great value and how valuable I am. Um, it was a Sunday, so I was here. We had finally moved back. I was here, surrounded by my community, and I was barely holding it together. I showed up running a little late. I waved to people from afar. Nobody came up to me because I'm running late, and so, um, and I have my three-year-old who is yelling at me. I have my six-month-old who didn't sleep that night and is hungry, and my husband didn't come, and so I am all alone, and I walked in I put my daughter in her classroom. I walked into um, the cry room to uh, feed my son, and someone finally said hello to me. I was finally seen by someone. And they came up and they said, hey, Natalie, is your sister here? Did you bring your newborn? And I went, nope. And I walked into the room. I love my sister dearly. Um, we laughed about this story today. Um, and this woman innocently asked me, with no, and no offense to where my sister was and if she brought her baby as I'm sitting there holding mine. I was absolutely crushed how worthless, alone, invisible I felt in my community, with my people, and I was worthless, alone, and invisible. Um, and I don't remember anything about the service. I couldn't tell you, uh, aside from knowing how old my kid was, I don't know what the service was. Um, I sat in the room and just cried the entire time. And in a still small voice, like in Elijah, God reminded me, and it wasn't big, it wasn't flashy, but finally these truths that I had forgotten washed over me. He quietly reminded me that he saw me when no one else did. He loved me just as other people loved me, but he loved me right then and there. I was redeemed. I was the daughter of a king. And his son gave absolutely everything for me. And he did the exact same thing for you. So what should you take away from today? The kingdom of heaven is glorious and is worth selling absolutely everything you own. We are called to follow him and sacrifice everything for his kingdom. So seek first Jesus, our king and savior, and his kingdom. Second, Jesus willingly and joyfully purchased the world and purchased and redeemed all believers so that we may have a relationship with the Father. He paid everything for us. You are all his treasure. Embrace this gift of salvation. And 
Finally, you are incredibly precious to the Lord. So precious that he gave his son, his child for you. Remember how precious you are to the king of heaven and run to him in both the good times and the bad. With that, I'm going to pray and we're going to go ahead and sing one more song. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are so um, evident as we read it. Lord, I thank you that each and every day um, you are exactly who you say you are. Each and every day you love us no matter what happens. You sent your son to redeem us. Lord, I pray that you remind us this week and as we go forward how valuable we are for you. I thank you for the gift of salvation that you gave to each of us. Lord, be near to us tonight. Help us as we go into our groups and we contemplate um, what we learned today. Lord, thank you for your love, for your grace, your mercy, and all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.